Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Driscoll's. Only the finest berries. Hello, young chefs, and welcome back to Mystery Recipe. I'm Molly Birnbaum, Editor-in-Chief of America's Test Kitchen Kids. And I'm Mitzi, oven mint, co-host of this show, and Molly's right-hand gal. Every week on Mystery Recipe, we'll be talking about the fun, fantastical, and fascinating sides of a different kitchen ingredient. And at the end of the season, we'll use all the ingredients to cook a mystery recipe together. Your knowledge is sure to flower and bloom with today's episode. First up, it's a brainy grainy round of tricky trivia. Then, our friend and producer Chad is talking with two bakers going local in Ask a Grown-Up. And last but certainly not least, it's how-to time with Tess Cook and friend of the show, Andrea. Ah, so much to do. So little time. We do have plenty of time, though, Mitzi. Well, we need more of it. (laughs) Nice. It was all for the joke, Molly. Worth it. Let's bake our way to the theme. Looks good. I bet it tastes good. Ooh. I could go for a smoothie. Mystery recipe. Ooh, I want to make that theme song my ringtone, Molly. I didn't realize you have a cell phone, Mitzi. You know, I don't. The only people who need to get a hold of me are you, and I see you all the time. Oliver, but he's a cat, and so he can't really use a phone. My parents, but they're the letter-writing type. It's a little old-fashioned, but I love mail, so that's fine. Who else? Hey, boss. Oh, right. I'm sorry I'm late. You would not believe the commute this morning. You live in a drawer in the recipe lab. Just down the hall, Parker. Right. Well, I made it. Sorry I'm late. Let me just grab a glass of water. All that travel has made me parched. I'll be right back. So, I've been meaning to ask you, Mitzi, how is the whole manager thing going? Well, it's got its ups and downs for sure. I mean, Parker is just wonderful. They're so excited to learn and really appreciate being here. But there are moments when they're less than honest. Have you mentioned anything to them about that? I'm just not quite sure how. I'm always so nice to everyone. It's just who I am. And we really love that about you, Mitzi. It is always great to be nice. But there are times when, as a leader, you need to give someone constructive criticism. Can what you whoosyism? Constructive criticism. Believe it or not, I'm giving you constructive criticism right now. Oh, is it heavy? Do I need Tupperware? I have Tupperware. No, constructive criticism isn't something you can hold. It's something you do. Constructive criticism is when you give someone specific and helpful feedback in order to help them make a positive change. Ah, I see. So it's a way to help someone improve and become better? Right. As a leader, it is our job to try and help the people around us become the best versions of themselves. And so you should try to keep an eye out for moments where you can give Parker some constructive criticism with the goal of helping them improve. Hmm. Like when they said they were late because they had a long commute this morning. 
Right. We both know they were just coming from down the hall. So what would you tell them? Well, I think I'll leave that part up to you. Just make sure you are saying something specific and that the intention behind it is to help them improve and become better. Ugh, this is hard. Being a leader is hard sometimes. But the easy thing to do is not always the right thing. Ugh, you always know exactly what to say, Molly. I want to be a leader like you. Oh, I know. Whenever I'm not sure what to say or do, I'll just think, what would Molly do? <laughs> That's kind of you, Mitzi. I'm not sure I always have the answer, but if it helps you, then I can't see anything wrong with it. All right, boss. Boss is boss. Phew. Better late than never, right? Actually, Parker, I was hoping I could have a quick word. What would Molly do? What would what? Uh, nothing, sorry. Uh, so this morning, when you came in late, you said you had a long commute, right? I did say that, yes. I'd like to give you a little constructive criticism, if now's an okay time for you. Sure. First, I'll start by saying there is never a problem if you are running late. Things happen. Every day's different, and it's not the end of the world if you get caught up with something. But instead of finding something to blame, like your commute, it will help me trust you better if you just tell me the truth. Oh, I can see that. Well, we all know your commute is just coming from down the hall. Just be honest and try to be better about managing your time in the future. But no need to feel bad and no need to make up excuses that aren't real. You're right. I'm sorry, boss. I was giving Oliver the kitties some scritches behind the ear this morning and completely lost track of time. Aw, that happens to me all the time. Really? Yes, don't worry. And thank you for telling me the truth. Cotton fibers, you're the best, boss. Nice work, Mitzi. All right, Parker, it's time for another round of Tricky Trivia. In Tricky Trivia, I will say a fact about our special ingredient theme, and Parker gets to help the listeners guess whether it's true or false. All right, Parker, are you ready to play? Absolutely tootly. Okay, here's your first one. True or false, whole wheat flour is brown for the same reason brown sugar is brown. It includes molasses. So, is that true or false? Is whole wheat flour brown because it contains molasses, just like brown sugar? Oh, this is a tough one. Both whole wheat flour and brown sugar are brown. So that's one vote in flavor of molasses. But at the same time, brown sugar is sweet, which makes me think molasses is sweet. And whole wheat flour definitely isn't sweet. Uh... False. You're exactly right, Parker. Whole wheat flour does not contain molasses, which is what gives brown sugar its color and malty, earthy flavor. All wheat flour is made from ground-up wheat berries. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's wheat berries now, too? Yep, always have been. That's just one more berry I have to keep track of. Oh, there are so many. Strawberry. Raspberry. Blueberry, Halleberry, and now Wheatberry! Wheatberries are the seed of a wheat plant and are made out of a brown outer crust called the bran and an inner white core called the endosperm. 
white flour is made up of just that inner white core, and so it's white. Whole wheat flour uses the whole wheat berry, and so includes that outer brown crust. That brown bran is what makes whole wheat flour brown, not molasses. That one was hard to guess. I'm glad I got it right. Very nice work. Next question. True or false, flour doesn't just come from wheat. It can also be made from rice, oats, almonds, coconuts, and more. So, is that true or false? Can flour be made out of rice, oats, almonds, coconuts, and more? Hmm. I can see how you might grind up rice to get a powdery something that's similar to the flour I know. Same for oats. That might grind up in the same way. But almonds? They're nuts! But actually, would almonds turn into flour? Or almond butter? Wow, Molly! I think I've found the hole in your story. Almonds won't grind into dry flour. They'll turn into sticky, moist almond butter. Butter! And coconuts? Ha! Have you ever fit an entire coconut into a blender? Do they make flour in a blender? Well, now I'm confused. Before I give myself a headache, let's say... False! You cannot fit a coconut in a blender. You are right that you can't fit a coconut in a blender, but ultimately the answer to my question is true. You can make flour out of all of those things. Rice, almonds, and coconut make great gluten-free flours. And yes, it's also true that if you grind almonds for a long time, it will turn into butter. But before it becomes butter, blanched skinned almonds turn into really great flour. And coconut flour is made from dried pieces of coconut meat, not the entire thing. A lot of people make flour at home in a blender, but larger producers have gigantic grinders to make flour on a bigger scale. Cotton fibers. That one was tricky, tricky. Should we try and fit a coconut in a blender just to see what it's like? I could go for a smoothie. I encourage you to try anything out for yourself within reason. But not right now, because it's time for your final question. True or false, for bread to rise, you always need to add yeast that you buy in the store. So is this true or false, Parker? In order for bread to rise, do you always need to add yeast you buy from the store? Duh. True. Bread has yeast in it, Molly. Yeast makes bread rise. If it didn't, it would be flatbread. False. This one is false, Parker. Yes, a lot of breads include yeast. Yeast is a living organism, so tiny that just half a teaspoon contains millions of them. These tiny creatures eat sugars and starch in bread dough and produce the gas carbon dioxide, which helps dough rise. But there are other ways of getting dough to rise. There are quick breads like banana bread or zucchini bread, which use chemical leaveners like baking soda or baking powder. And then there are sourdough breads, which also use yeast, but it's wild yeast that you can cultivate at home. What? When you make sourdough bread, you begin by making a starter. A starter is a combination of flour and water that you let sit out. While it's sitting out or fermenting, the wild yeast, which can be found in flour, begins to grow. Every so often, you feed the starter with fresh flour, just like a pet. Yeast is alive, after all. 
Starters get all bubbly and fermenty, and eventually, you can use it to make great sourdough bread. No special yeast from the store needed. Wow. I have always wanted a pet, but my kitchen drawer is too small for a cat. Maybe I can get my own starter and take care of some yeast. Maybe. It can smell really strong, though. Yeah. So does my kitchen drawer. On that note, let's head to our next segment. Our friend Chad is back with another edition of Ask a Grown-Up. Today, he's talking to Jonathan Stevens and Cheryl Maffey, who work at The Hungry Ghost. But Jonathan and Cheryl aren't bakers using any old flour. We'll find out what makes them special right after the break. It's time for a word from our sponsors. Grown-ups, these ads are for you. Hey, grown-ups. If you're anything like me, it's easy to let grocery shopping fall to the bottom of your to-do list. Kroger's grocery delivery service has taken the stress out of the process. You don't even need to leave your house. Shop online and get fresh groceries delivered to your house in as little as an hour. And who doesn't love a delivery? My daughter Olive sure does. It's a package. What do you think is in it? I don't know. This is all special for you, Olive. The nice people at Kroger sent us all these snacks just for you. Learn more at Kroger.com. What does that look like? A tree. A tree? It kind of looks like grapes. And what's that? I don't know. Hi, grown-ups. We wanted to tell you about Driscoll's Blackberries. Here at Mystery Recipe, we know that kids will always give us an honest take on any situation. So we gave them the mic and asked them some questions. Let's talk about blackberries. What can you tell me about them? Like, sweet but also taut. And juicy. Like, it's a good balance. I don't really share my blackberries because they taste good. So they're all mine. Driscoll's worked hard to cultivate sweet and juicy blackberry varieties that have a delicious flavor. These kids love them, and we think yours might too. Find out more on how Driscoll's grows only the finest berries at Driscoll's.com. Okay, I gotta go. And we're back, just in time for Ask a Grown-Up. Take it away, Chad. Thanks, Molly. Today I'm talking to Jonathan Stevens and Cheryl Maffey, who are owners of Hungry Ghost Bread in Northampton, Massachusetts. Hungry Ghost is known for their delicious breads and pizzas, but we wanted to talk to them today because they have a very special way of getting their flour. Jonathan and Cheryl started a project to get farmers near them in New England to start growing wheat so that they can have local wheat that didn't have to get shipped across the country before it was baked into bread. I'll let them tell you more about it, though. I talked to them while they were in their bakery, and so you might hear some sounds around them of bread making. How are you today? We're pretty good, as ever. It's hot outside and hot inside. I guess that that comes with the territory when you run a bakery, huh? Why is it bread that you choose to do? What is it that you love about bread in particular? It's old. It's old. It's It's an ancient food that our ancestors, well, my ancestors ate a lot of. Human beings have been making and eating bread for 10,000 years. That's a long time. So it's a craft with a long tradition. And it's, it's, it's exciting to be part of that old tradition. 
um, and that useful a tradition. And uh, it's just exciting to be part of a process that takes together these very um, basic elements like wheat or, and water and salt and then the wood that goes in the oven to, to, to burn as fuel. And, um, and then, boom, you come out with something that's sometimes beautiful to look at and often pretty good to eat, too. I know one of the main ingredients that go into baking bread is flour. And so is flour made from wheat? Wheat is probably the most common grain that makes flour. And it makes flour for pasta or noodles that, that we enjoy. But mostly this wheat flour that goes into bread. When you first opened Hungry Ghost Bread, I know that you were very focused on using all local ingredients. Uh, what were some of the challenges that you faced in trying to use local ingredients in your bakery? Well, the first great challenge is that there was no local wheat available. We were buying organic flour. It was being shipped from the middle of the country down to a mill in South Carolina and then finally back up to New Hampshire and then down here in Massachusetts. So what we've discovered in creating a local wheat economy was that it's less expensive and more nutritious to have our flour be local. Um, so why do you think it was that so many people nearby where you are weren't growing this grain themselves? Well, many, many, many years ago, it was all moved to be grown where everything is flat. So the Midwest, lots of flat. New England, where we live, there's lots of hills. Sometimes it rains, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes there's hail. Boy, all these factors are really important in growing wheat. So it was really hard to grow wheat. And so it was easier to make it more industrial. That's a big word. That means growing lots and lots and lots of wheat in one place and harvesting it with a big machine all at once. New England was the bread basket way back when America was a brand new country. And we had, at the time, somebody, a friend, he was 100 years old, and he remembered neighbors in wagons with horses bringing wheat and rye to their mill to be turned into flour. So we knew that it could happen. After maybe 10 years, farmers started to grow wheat in the traditional way they did 100 years ago. Why do you think it's so important to learn about where your food comes from? In order to be a full human being, it's good to know about what sustains you. What keeps you healthy. What keeps you healthy, uh, how, how a house is built, <laughs> how food is grown, how a bicycle runs so you can, you can fix your own bicycle you know, um, and how to take care of each other. And it, it's not necessarily that you have to know it all and have to know it by yourself, but uh, together, collectively, w we need to remind ourselves how these things work or else uh, they fall by the wayside or other people kind of take control of them and then you don't know what they're doing with it. 
And I love your example. It's not that every person needs to know how to fix a bike and how to build a house and how to make bread, but it's helpful to learn one, right? And then you can be a part of a community where you have people around you who know how to do the things that you might not know. Let me ask you this. Why do you think food is a great way to build community? Everybody eats. <laughs> and and in community, people like to eat different different types of food. And so it's a great way to learn about other cultures, other countries, um, other recipes. I always enjoy finding something new and delicious. And there's a lot of different ways to make the same thing, obviously. So bread, there isn't just one kind of bread and there isn't just one right way of making bread. Um, so our way of making bread is different than the bakery down the street. Um, and that's, that's an important way of understanding how different people are. Sharing food is one of the most important things about being human. Uh, what is your favorite part about being a baker? I think it has to be the, the joy that our bread brings to people. People are really relying on their bread for their joy, for their nourishment, for their safety, for all of those different reasons people are, are loving their bread. That's fantastic. So you're able to sort of bring a little piece of joy to everyone wherever they are in their lives. It's, it's at everybody's celebrations, whether it's a holiday or a birthday or just a family dinner. So it's like being there ourselves. And we really enjoy that level of community. Great. I appreciate, again, the time that y'all are taking in order to chat with us. This was such a lovely conversation, and I think our listeners are going to get so much from it. So thank you again for that. Great. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. Back to you, Molly. Thank you, Chad. Cotton fibers. Baking with grains from their own backyard? That's pretty amazing. And sustainable. All right, it's time for another edition of How To Time. My favorite. Wonder what technique we'll be focusing on this week. Something sustainable, I hope. Andrea! Hey there, Andrea. Hi, Molly. Hi, Mitzi. Andrea is a test cook here at America's Test Kitchen Kids. That means she works on developing recipes and experiments for our cookbooks and things like the Young Chefs Club boxes. Grown-ups, you can find some of what Andrea's been working on over at atkkids.com. Thanks so much for being here. No problem. This is one of my favorite parts of the week. Really? Oh, yeah. This and my weekly visit to the farmer's market. Farmer's market? That sounds fun. And sustainable, right? Because the farmers bring their produce right to the people. That's right, Parker. And they're usually local farmers, which means there's less pollution and waste, just like Mitzi explained when you were talking about flour. Yep. Not everyone has a farmer's market close enough for them to shop at. But if you do, it can be a really fun and delicious trip. Speaking of flour, are you ready to learn a new kitchen technique, Parker? I am so incredibly ready. This is one of my favorite parts of the week, too. Glad we're on the same page. Since it's flour week, I thought we could learn how to measure dry ingredients. What's a dry ingredient? Dry ingredients are anything that's not specifically wet. Dry ingredients include spices, salt, sugar, rice, and 
flour. Now, can you tell me how you would measure out, say, one cup of flour? For starters, what tool would you use? Let me think. I would probably use a measuring cup, right? You tell me. Yes, I would use a measuring cup and just scoop it out, I guess. I just so happen to have a set of dry measuring cups and a bin of flour right here. Dry measuring cups? If these are dry measuring cups, what do wet measuring cups look like? Great question. First, you're right. There are two kinds of measuring cups. These dry measuring cups look like scoops with handles, like a very small pot or an upside-down baseball cap. Actually, these are the perfect size for my potholder head. You'd be surprised how hard it is to find proper sun protection for tiny square people like me, Andrea. Well, I'll keep that in mind for your birthday. These dry measuring cups usually come in sets with different size scoops, ranging from a quarter cup all the way up to one cup. We use these for dry ingredients, hence the name. There are also liquid measuring cups, which usually look more like a cup with a handle and a spout. They are often clear so you can see the liquid inside and have markings on the side so you can see how much liquid is in the cup. We use those for measuring wet ingredients like water, milk, or melted butter. Let me get to work on this. Just scoop some of this flour out here. There you go, Andrea, one cup. Thank you, Parker. I see you've scooped up some flour there, but your cup is not totally full. Oh, I guess this is just one of those things where it really matters that we get it exactly on the nose. Just let me add a little more here. There you go, nice and full. Thank you, Parker. I hate to tell you this, but now it's too full. Cotton fibers, this is harder than I thought. That's okay. I'm here to show you a trick that's going to make it easier to be precise. When you're scooping out a dry ingredient, you don't want your measuring cup to be too full or not full enough. You want it to be exactly full, right to the top, because that's exactly the amount you're trying to measure. That makes sense. How do you make sure it's exactly full, right to the top? The easiest way is to dip the measuring cup into the ingredient so it's filled up all the way. It may even have a little extra. Then we're going to use one of these. Dun, 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 a butter knife. Exactly, but we aren't using it on butter today. We're going to take the back flat side, not the blade side of our butter knife and sweep it across the top of the measuring cup. That is going to level off any extra so that our cup is exactly full right to the top. Why don't you give it a try, Parker? Okay, dip, sweep, one cup, exactly full, right to the top. Great work, Parker, that looks perfect. Remember, you can use that same technique with other dry ingredients, even things in much smaller amounts, like spices. Scoop them with a measuring spoon and use the back of a butter knife to sweep the excess away, just like you would with a measuring cup. That's handy because I'm definitely going to have to measure lots of different ingredients in my diner. We are going to have these dreamy, fluffy pancakes that honestly will make you weep. I'll have to show you the recipe. 
That sounds amazing. If you need a taste tester for that one, sign me up. All right, I'll see you next week. Bye, Parker. Bye, Mitzi and Molly. Thanks, Andrea. Well, that's about all the time we have today. But we'll be back next time with some glutinous science, followed by a rocking wild card. And remember, at the end of the season, we'll be using all of our ingredients in a very special mystery recipe to cook together. Can you guess what it is? If you love Mystery Recipe, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. Until Until then, then, keep keep on on cooking. cooking. Mystery Recipe is hosted by me, Molly Birnbaum, and I am a bottle of Heinz tomato ketchup. Chad Chennai is our writer and producer. He is a cupcake. Kaya Williams was the associate producer for this episode. She is a caramel brownie. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. She's a salty sweet chocolate chip cookie. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. He's the cherry on top. Jonathan Roberts composed our theme music and is a fizzy drink. Our post-production supervisor is Ken Margolis in Artichoke. Our production manager is Diane Knox, who is also broccoli. Jack Bishop is the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. He's a garden-grown green zebra tomato. David Nussbaum is our CEO, and he's a homemade ravioli. Special thanks to our senior science editor, Paul Adams, deputy editor, Kristen Sargianis, executive food editor, Susanna McFerrin, assistant editor, Katie O'Hara, senior editor, Afton Cyrus, test cook, Andrea Vavjin, and test cook, Cassandra Loftlin. This episode featured the voices of Kira O'Sullivan and Neo Sihi. Special thanks to Jonathan Stevens and Cheryl Maffey of Hungry Ghost Bread. Thanks again to our sponsors, Kroger and Driscoll's. Mystery Recipe is a production of America's Test Kitchen Kids. Dip and sweep. And dip and sweep. Five, six, seven, eight. Dip and sweep. A dip, dip and sweep. Hey, dip and a sweep. Cotton fibers, I'm getting good at this. Dip and a sweep. A dip, dip, sweep. Dip and sweep. Hi, grown-ups. I wanted to tell you a little bit about our newsletter. If you love the fun food content we share on Mystery Recipe, then sign up today for our ATK Kids newsletter to receive even more recipes, activities, and stories from me straight to your inbox. As a mom of two, I always try to include things that are important to my family, and it's a great way to hear about all the new things we are cooking up at ATK. Plus, every new email added will be entered for a chance to win three free ATK Kids books for toddlers through teens. We'll draw 10 winners every month while the promotion lasts. And we have some great books available all the time. Head to atkkids.com newsletter to sign up today for your chance to win.